This morning, Pastor John will be concluding his sermon series on Isaiah 55. I invite you to turn to Isaiah 55, the last two verses. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for memorial, for an everlasting sign which shall not be cut off. Well, I'm sorry that this series is coming to an end. This is a magnificent chapter. I hope that you have felt it wherever you are on your spiritual pilgrimage as a great invitation to come closer to God. I hope many of you have memorized it or are still working on it. We, we said the whole thing as a family this morning at the breakfast table. Abraham was the first one, first one to get it all. He's the memorizer in the family. We as a staff have been memorizing it. May I call to your attention, staff, you'll all be quizzed tomorrow on all 13 verses. And I'll say it first. It is a great, great chapter. Do memorize it. Even if it takes you all year, memorize this chapter. It'll change your life. But we must end. And uh, these two verses are magnificent. First question, you see that word you in verse 12, for you shall go out in joy. My first question is, is that you? You? Are you included there? It's a real important question. Real important. Because not everybody is. Now let me try to help you know whether you're included there and encourage you, if you're not now, to be included by the end of the service. Uh, Very simply, I think the you referred to in verse 12 is the you of the rest of the chapter. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? You hearken diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in abundance. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. You move on through the chapter and you realize it's the thirsty people, it's the hungry people, it's the listening people, it's the people who call upon Him while He is near, who seek the Lord while He may be found, who forsake their wickedness and their evil thoughts, and who draw near and trust in the one who has a sovereign word of salvation and pardon and forgiveness. So, are you among the you of verse 12? I hope so. It's a great invitation. This text is not written to write you out, but to draw you in. It's one of the most glorious invitations in all the Bible. Ho! That's to get your attention. We asked Barnabas this morning as we started, what's the first word, Barnabas? Ho! (laughs) And it got his attention, just like I hope it gets yours. Are you thirsty? Come. Now let's look at this invitation as it closes. 
When is verse 12 and 13 talking about? What is the situation that Isaiah has in view and in mind? Verse 13, I think, gives the clue to answer that question. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Now, just stop and think about that for a moment. If you're a biblical reader, you probably hear something behind those words briar and thistle and thorn, don't you? You probably remember Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sin. God curses the ground and all of nature because of sin. And the description of that in Genesis 3.17 is, Cursed is the ground because of you in toil. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And now in this text, instead of the thorn coming out of the ground, a cypress tree is coming up. And instead of briars coming out of the ground, a myrtle tree is coming up. What's the point? The point is, the curse is being overturned. The curse is being taken away. That's what's in view here. A new day, a new world is on the way. In the place of the cursed things, things of beauty and strength and usefulness are coming. Now look at the last line of verse 13. It shall be for an everlasting sign which shall not be cut off. Now, underline the word everlasting and let's draw this point from it. He's not talking about a temporary agricultural alteration because of good weather. He's talking about a real change of the world. This is an everlasting sign that is in the offing here. Something that will never be cut off. A world change such that the curse is removed Glorious beauty and usefulness and strength are exalted and never change again. Now, that's the time that's in view here. What's being promised is the lifting of the curse. Now, Isaiah has some other glorious things to say about this time, and I want you to look at one of them with me. It's found in chapter 11, verses 6 to 9, if you want to turn there. While you're turning, I want to try to attach... Uh, a thought to an image in your mind. Scorsese's film has put the image at the forefront, at least in most of the ads I've seen in the newspaper, there's a, a crown of thorns. Have you ever thought that when Jesus was bearing the curse for us so that we would not have to be cursed, there was a crown of thorns crushing down on his head. Have you ever made that connection between the thorns as the first thing held out in the curse in verse 17 of Genesis 3, crushing down on Jesus' head and wounding him as a, as a visual statement of his bearing the curse that we ought to have borne? And he bore it so that now we get to sit under a myrtle tree in the shade on green grass, breaking forth in joy because he bore the thorns for us. What he bought for us, 
by bearing the thorns and thus removing the thorns someday is described in Isaiah 11.6. Let's read it. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Did you get your new National Geographic? This 100 year anniversary. Those of you who are into National Geographics. One of the most gripping pictures in there is of this massive lion on the back of a of a wild boar, just like that. I saw that. I said, "I did that." That that's what this text is saying will be over. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion, the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall feed. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The suckling child shall play over the hole of the asp and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, that's a radical change. That's what's being talked about in Isaiah 55, verses 12 and 13. And notice it's the whole earth here. The whole earth. Not just a little part of it that will be cleared up with trees instead of briars. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And as a result, this massive change and lifting of the curse. When Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know what I think he was saying? I think he was saying, the promise at the end of Isaiah 55 belongs to the people at the beginning of Isaiah 55. The promise at the end is the new world of myrtles instead of briars. And the promise or the people at the beginning are the thirsty and the hungry for righteousness. The people who turn away from their wicked thoughts and their evil ways and who call upon the Lord while He may be found, who seek Him while He is near, who drink at the fountain of life because they've forsaken the broken cisterns of the world that can never satisfy. These are the meek people, the hungry people, the thirsty people, the broken people, the desperate people, the needy people, the dependent people who inherit verses 12 and 13, the new earth. There's coming a day, we read it together at the beginning of this service, when according to Revelation 21, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, death shall be no more, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more earthquakes in Nepal. No more massacres in Burundi. No more bloodshed in Rangoon. It will be over forever. Swords into plowshares. Spears into pruning hooks. And the lion eating straw like an ox, playing with the children in the kingdom. One of these days, there's going to be a trumpet blast. 
It may be very soon. The trumpet will blast. The trumpet of God, it's called, in Revelation or in 1 Thessalonians 4. The Son of Man will descend. The dead in Christ will be raised first and will be given new and glorious bodies like the body of Jesus Christ. Then the angels will be dispatched to the four winds and they will gather, it says in Matthew 13, all sin and causes of evil out of His kingdom and they will be thrown in the fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the children of God will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. That's what's being spoken of here. In these two verses, a great new kingdom, a great new day and new world is coming at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the question we want to ask now is, what will it be like? What will those days, everlasting days, be like? The first thing that God tells us they will be like is in verse 12 at the beginning, God is planning that you will be happy in those days forever and ever. You shall go out in joy. Now, we have some happiness here. My sins are forgiven. Are yours? My conscience is washed clean by the blood of Jesus. I have a purpose to live for that the world can't touch in its grandeur. I have a hope of glory that is indescribable. I have seen the sunrise and the sunset in this city and leaped for joy. I have joy now. But our joy in this age is so shot through with frustration, with pain, with disappointment, with struggles. We want out. And doesn't that make the word... You see the verb in that line? Doesn't that make that significant? You shall go out with joy. There are some things I want to go out from in this world, don't you? You can name a half a dozen right off the bat. I want to be rid of these things. I want to go out. Well, God says you're going to go out and you're going to go into joy forever and ever. So the first thing we can say about this coming day is that God is planning right now and has been ever since creation for your happiness. And it'll never end. Number two, God is planning for you to live in peace forever and ever. Let's just keep reading. You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Now, I tried to think about the relationship to joy and peace. This is what came to me. See if it comes to you with equal commendation. The hope of joy is the prospect of having all my inner turmoil removed totally. The hope of peace is having all the outer turmoil of my circumstances removed totally. And that makes the verb of this line important, doesn't it? You see what he says here? You shall be led forth. Now, I need a leader to get out of my 
conflicts in this world. I am not smart enough or strong enough to overcome all the obstacles to my peace. I need one to lead me out. And that's what it says I've got. Do you remember back in verse 4? Can anybody remember verse 4? It's hard to pick them out of the middle, not the flow, isn't it? Behold, He made Him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. That's us. We've got a leader and commander who will lead us out in victory over all enemies into peace. And there will be no more war. The swords really will be beaten into pruning hooks. God is planning on the inside for you to be happy forever. He's planning on the outside for you to live in peace forever. No more terrorism. No more war. No more abortion. No more rape. No more arson. No more fraud. No more slander. No more discord of any kind. Imagine the people that you are at most peace with. The people you love to meet with on an evening before the fire just to talk. Total peace with them. And imagine it being that way with everybody in the world. Now, there are some things I don't want to leave behind. I don't want to be led forth from certain things. Like the Rocky Mountains in Colorado or the Blue Ridge Hills in North Carolina or trees. I thought of a few like dogwood. I don't have any dogwood around here. I grew up with a big dogwood in my front yard or cypress or myrtle or oak or maple or pine or ash or willow or elm or palm or redwood or spruce or poplar or holly or hickory. I made a bow and arrow out of a hickory one time. And so God, in His mercy, as it were, to lavish upon us all that we could possibly dream or imagine, tells us in this text that not only... Do we not leave these things behind, but they will be there clapping when we come? Let's read verse 12, second half. The mountains and the hills before you, they're going to be there like a welcoming choir, shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field, every one of them, holly, hickory, redwood, shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. In other words, in the new world that is coming with Jesus Christ, not only will nature stop being against us, floods, um, drought, tidal waves, earthquakes, Not only will nature stop being against us, it will be passionately for us. Isn't that what that means? I mean, come on, the trees are clapping, come on into the kingdom. The hills are skipping with song. They are there, they are for us, and they are no danger anymore. No suns lost in rock climbing accidents anymore. There will be the rock climbing, but no more falling of 21-year-olds to the ground. 
Let's sum it up. God is planning for you to be happy forever. He's planning for you to live in peace forever. He's planning for all that is good and beautiful and useful in his creation to be purged of the curse and be there for our exhilaration forever. And I have one last point. And I think it's the most important point. It makes me most excited. Best discovery I've ever made in 20 years. And I made it 20 years ago this fall. I wrote a book about it. I won't use the word because I don't care whether you use the word or not. But I want to show you the essence of my life, my theology, my philosophy. And I could show it to you in a hundred places. But this is glorious. Let me try to show it to you. The last part of verse 13 says that all this change... All this transformation of God's universe is intended to be a memorial to the Lord. Or your version might say, a renown to the Lord. Literally, it is a name for the Lord. All of this that we've just seen is intended to be a memorial, a name, a renown for the Lord. And then you read on to the end of the verse and it says, it is intended to be an everlasting sign. Pointing you to something that will not be cut off. Now, let's think about this. You can learn a lot about a leader by the kind of memorial he builds for himself. You can learn a lot about your God this morning by the kind of memorial or renown or name he seeks to make for himself. It isn't wrong for God to want to have a memorial. I hope you don't think that's a problem. God is God. It's every, he has every right to build a memorial to Himself. To, to put something in the world that is a sign that will direct all attention forever and ever to Him and His glory. It's a right for God to do that. He ought to have a memorial in the coming kingdom that will always draw our attention up to Him and His majesty. You can learn a lot about the personality and the character of a leader by what kind of memorial they make for themselves. So, what did he make for himself? The memorial of God is the everlasting happiness of his people. And therein is the character of our God. The memorial that God erects for his glory is the everlasting happiness of his people. Now, let's look at this very carefully. Verse 13, second half. And it shall be to the Lord for a memorial. What is it? It shall be to the Lord for a memorial. What is it? It is the getting rid of thorns. It is the getting rid of briars. It is the coming up of cypresses. It is the coming up of myrtles. It is the singing of mountains. It is the joy of His people, the peace of His people, and the clapping of the hands of the trees. That's what it is. What kind of 
God do you have? This is the essence of our God. God's passion to be glorified and my passion to be satisfied are one. And therein is the gospel. God's energy, His omnipotent zeal to magnify the glory of His own name and memorialize His majesty is the very same omnipotent zeal and passion with which He pursues your joy. And if that isn't enough to encourage your heart, it can't be encouraged. I mean, this is the rock bottom of biblical religion. We have a God whose glory is exalted in the gracious redemption and delighting of His people. And that's good news. That's real good news. Let me try to sum it all up. This chapter is a great invitation. It's a great invitation. It says, God is planning to make you happy forever and ever. God is planning to give you peace forever and ever. And God writes His seal across these promises. Indeed, across the whole chapter by saying, As I live, says the Lord, and as I love to memorialize my glory and the greatness of my name, so with equal energy and zeal am I for you and in pursuit of your joy. There are marks of a hopeful person, and I want to close by asking you, do you bear the marks of hope this morning? Hopeful people are patient with each other. Hopeful people love each other. Hopeful people rejoice. And hopeful people are bold in witness. Do you feel the confidence this morning that God is planning for you to be happy forever and ever? Do you feel it coming your way with the omnipotent force with which God glorifies Himself by creating galaxies for His name? I pray that you do. He God and Heavenly Father, we bow before you now to ask that your Spirit would come in this moment. It's been a great chapter, God. You are a great God. You are so overflowing with life and mercy. You are so filled with invitation and with inviting beauty. Father, get victory in the lives of your people. Grant that those whom you have touched would bear witness and those in great need would come for prayer. We commit this remaining moment of this worship service into your care and ask for your blessing and power upon it in Jesus' name.